welcome to Ipsa Dixit, a podcast on legal scholarship. I'm your host, Brian L. Fry, Spears Gilbert Professor of Law at the University of Kentucky College of Law. My guest is Tara Simmons, an attorney and candidate for Washington State Representative. So welcome to the show, Tara. Thank you so much for having me. It's really an honor and it's kind of cool to be on a podcast by a law professor. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's pretty cool for me to have a candidate for elected office on the show. You're the first one, and uh, I'm really excited to talk to you because I've been a big supporter of your campaign, uh, well, even before you started a campaign, but especially when you decided to run run for office. Um, but for listeners who might not already be familiar with your story and your background, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about your path to where you are now, because I think it's a really especially interesting and important one. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, and I, I do think that my campaign is just kind of an extension of that I've been doing um, to kind of, you know, reform our criminal legal system and allow more opportunities for people um, to come back from, you know, really difficult circumstances. So I, um, you know, was born into generational poverty and uh, was exposed to violence at a very young age and was in foster care and was the first person in my family to ever even graduate high school um, let alone go on to college. Um, that, and that's because every single person in my family has suffered with substance use disorder and incarceration. Um, and unfortunately, you know, I did follow in those in those footsteps, um, despite having some success in my life and becoming a registered nurse. I never dealt with the underlying childhood trauma and adverse childhood experiences and ended up using, um, you know, substances to um, kind of deal with untreated trauma. And unfortunately, that led to a prison a prison sentence um, when I was sentenced for selling drugs um, to support my habit. Um, but it was when I was in prison that I really realized um, the inequities that are plaguing so many people um, that kind of have the same life trajectory and experiences as me and the legal barriers that are um, preventing people from ever moving forward, even if they do treat the root cause of what led them to incarceration. And so when I got out of prison in 2013, I decided I was going to go to law school to kind of figure out how to help people find a second chance. Because as I was released, I was met with, you know, very little job opportunities, um, no housing, uh, you know, court debt um, to pay off my fines and fees. And, and I saw how easily it was for people to just go back to prison. And so I went to law school, try to figure out how to change the system. And during my law school time, I also a nonprofit organization that is led by and for um, formerly incarcerated people advocating for uh, a second chance and to remove these legal barriers that lead to us being you know, pushed out of the economy and um, opportunities. And so I went to law school. I um, was very lucky during my time there that I um, started doing advocacy in Olympia and also was appointed by the governor to uh, a couple of boards and commissions. I, um, you know, uh, uh, graduated uh, magna cum laude with honors and with uh, awards. And then when I went to sit for the bar exam, they said uh, I wasn't allowed to sit for the bar exam. The Washington State Bar Association uh, after a character and fitness hearing, um, basically because of my past again. Um, and so that was really difficult. Um, but fortunately, I had made so many friends in the legal community.
community here in Washington State and had a really great mentor in Sean Hopwood, who is now a Georgetown law professor, but had done 12 years in federal prison and actually did get a Washington State bar um, admission and, and became a licensed attorney in the state of Washington. And because of my community, my connections, I was able to appeal that decision to not allow me to take the bar exam to the Washington State Supreme Court. And in 2017, uh, the Supreme Court took the case up on appeal. It was the first time we know of in modern history where they, uh, and maybe forever, that they actually allowed an open um, hearing and and actually ruled on the same day. So all nine justices agreed that I did have the current um, good moral character and fitness to become an attorney and, and to sit for the bar. So that was uh, in 2017. I took the bar in 2018 and became a licensed attorney. And uh, it was through all of my connections and advocacy work that my representative, who was retiring, asked me if I would be interested in running for her position. And so here I am today uh, running to be the first formerly incarcerated legislator in Washington state's history. And I think it's important because as we look to reform the criminal justice system, um, you know, people who have that direct experience are not usually at the policymaking table, but we bring so much um, depth of when we're talking about what leads to incarceration, what people actually need um, to succeed. I think, you know, a person with lived experience should be in those in that position because um, not only do I bring my experience, but I bring the experience of so many people in my community. Um, and so I'm really excited and really hopeful that uh, eight days from now, I will be uh, elected to the state legislature. So it's incredibly inspiring story and congratulations on all your success. Best of luck with the with the election, of course. I'm quite confident you're going to be successful. Um, but I, I was I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about any experiences you had while that you were incarcerated that made law school seem like something that you wanted and also that you felt like you could do? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So while I was incarcerated, there was a group of law students that was coming to the prison to help the women navigate their family law issues when they were incarcerated. Um, So we're talking about custody and divorce and uh, non-parental custody and those types of things. Um, and so the group of law students, they would come and and also, you know, just kind of empower us to, um, you know, think about uh, our futures. And uh, we're just like a real good support to the women there. And it was through those monthly clinics and kind of empowerment circles and talking about legal empowerment that I got excited about potentially Um, becoming an attorney, but I did not know if I would be disqualified or discriminated against based on my criminal record. And that was the first kind of time that somebody planted a seed and told me they didn't know uh, the ethical um, considerations and the character and fitness admission process, but they gave me the name of somebody who would know. And I wrote that name down in my journal when I was in prison. It was Professor John Strait, who ended up being uh, my attorney uh, for my bar admission before the Washington State Bar Association. And so when I got out of prison uh, and, you know, the first you know year I was kind of just contending with uh, working a fast food job and trying to find housing and reunify with my kids. And then when I realized this was not going to be sustainable long term, I, I contacted him 
And that's, that's how, what started me to get into law school. That's amazing. Well, what was the law school application process like? I mean, were schools generally receptive to your candidacy or were some more receptive than than others? And sort of what were the experiences you had like starting law school in in your position? Yeah, I will say uh, I, um, you know, I sought support again from Sean Hopwood during the time I was considering applying for law school. I read his book. Uh, called The Lawman, and I found him. He was actually a second-year law student at University of Washington at that time. And with his support, you know, he really helped me, and and a couple other people as well. Um, They helped me prepare my personal statement that accompanies your law school um, application. They also taught me, you know, how to uh, master the law school admission test and where to go for that. but I, I applied to about four or five law schools, and I will tell you that not one of them denied me um, based on my criminal history, which I was honest about on my application. Uh, some of them were just random schools I applied to where I didn't really have a plan on how to move across this, the country to go. Uh, but I, I just wanted to kind of put my name out there and see what would come back. Um, and of course, I was so grateful that my uh, school, Seattle University School of Law here in Seattle, really close to my home, uh, accepted me. So I had a a relatively positive experience because I didn't get that discrimination based on my past. And I think it's because there were, uh, you know, at least five years in advance that I know of, of of other people um, going through that law school admission process and pointing out um, the inequities and discrimination based on criminal history. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about the bar admission process. When you were applying to law schools, did you have conversations about with with the schools about, you know, hurdles you might encounter in that process? And, and I guess the other question I have is sort of like, what's your sense of how that played out in practice? I mean, I find it quite striking that the the bar ruled against you, but then the Supreme Court ruled unanimously in your favor. And and I wonder why you think that is. Well, I think that at the Washington State Bar Association character and fitness level, you have volunteer attorneys that sign up to be on those committees who do not have kind of any kind of specialized training in mental health issues or substance use disorder or recidivism rates. Um, and there, um, there wasn't a lot of case law prior to my admission case um, that kind of guided that that process. And you know, people self-select onto that committee could be for a variety of reasons. Maybe they believe in keeping the profession as small as possible um, to kind of protect their own private practices. Um, you know, there's a lot of reasons people got on there and uh, probably do not have the expertise to be making those decisions, fortunately, with our the structure that we have. Um, and so going before that board, you know, I provided over 100 letters of support from prosecutors and legislators and judges and people who had worked with me um, throughout my law school journey for three years who knew my character and my um, hard work ethic. Uh, and unfortunately, it was a six to three decision Uh, Six people basically said, um, you know, that I hadn't shown enough and uh, and a very strong and persuasive dissent, though, um, that kind of embraced the values of redemption and, um, 
you know, wanting to see people succeed after um, suffering with so many different kinds of um, circumstances. And, you know, at the Supreme Court level, uh, there's more opportunity to kind of brief the court. Also, the justices are more developed in their understanding around a lot of different issues. We have in our state a a Minority Injustice Commission, for example, that's um, co-chaired by a couple of the justices. We also have the Gender Injustice Commission. And in all of these different commissions, you know, the justices are grappling with incarceration and ending mass incarceration and racial equity and all of these different um, important topics. And, and so I think at the Supreme Court level, not only do you have a more opportunity to weigh in through amicus briefs and, and things like that, but you also have um, decision makers who have a more developed understanding of the contributors um, to incarceration and, and recovery and, and um, rehabilitation. Do you think that the Supreme Court case in your favor is likely to affect future decisions uh, in similar cases by the Washington State Bar? Uh, well, I absolutely know it has. Uh, and that's what my whole hope was through this case. Obviously, I wanted desperately to have my own law license, but I had to waive confidentiality in order to get the opinion that we got. A lot of people don't know that. Um, you know, I had to actually ask the court uh, through a motion to let the courtroom be open and uh, waive confidentiality. If not, they were not going to be able to um, give a published opinion that now I absolutely know the Bar Association is relying on. Um, I know people on the Character and Fitness Board now. I have also heard from people who are going through the process that they have been allowed to sit and that the Washington State Bar Association often cites to my opinion in making those decisions. So it, you know, it probably is one of the things I am most um, proud to have been a part of. And because it is exactly what I hope to do in this world is to make sure that my success, not an exception, but to make my success more like the rule and that every person has opportunity to kind of, you know, become an attorney, to run for office. And in every, you know, path I take, I am trying to create infrastructure that I leave behind to make um, opportunities available for more people. I think that's the way forward um, because I know what it's like to be in prison and people need hope that they can also overcome. And they also need that opportunity though. If you just have hope and then you're met with constant barriers, you're going to end up going back. But um, I'm really excited and grateful for that opinion, and I know it's being relied upon. That's awesome. Um, so, Tara, I know that you already have considerable experience with the legislative process. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that and how you want that to or expect that to inform what you'll be doing as a legislator. Yeah. So uh, when I started law school in 2014 is when I started doing advocacy in Olympia as well. I had met some attorneys at the ACLU of Washington at a reentry fair. And at that time, they were leading the effort around reforming the court fines and fees that people are given, um, you know, based on their criminal conviction uh, that was going to fund the court system and how imposing those on people's uh, on indigent 
people um, is really unjust and unfair. Uh, and so I started that work in 2014, and, and I've been building upon my legislative work since. Uh, you know, that year it was just test- testifying on a bill. Um, but as the years progressed, I started drafting legislation and finding sponsors in the in the legislature to run ideas that I had around um, record vacating, um, you know, employment barriers, uh, housing barriers, all kinds of different um, uh, things that, you know, the formerly incarcerated community needs in order to have that hope and opportunity that I'm talking about. Um, all of this, I've been able to really work and and make friends on both sides of the aisle. So I have several, you know, members of the Republican caucus who I consider um, people who I have a lot of respect for. And um, we've been able to garner bipartisan support, not just from our own Washington support, but nationally, there's a movement around bipartisan support on criminal justice reform. And so we've been leaning on that to build that kind of um, ability to reach consensus here in Washington state. I think that those relationships that I've made and the skills that I've developed as an advocate are absolutely going to help me, um, you know, start my tenure as an elected uh, representative, you know, in a good position um, where I can hit the ground running. Uh, And, you know, one of the biggest reasons I'm running for legislature is because I don't want to just work on criminal justice anymore. Um, As an outside advocate, you know, you only have so many hours in a day and you have a particular area of expertise and I will bring that inside to the legislature. But I also want to work on, you know, representing my actual district so we can get kiddos early on when they're having behavioral health problems and not getting suspended from school um, so we can tackle the school to prison pipeline. I want to make sure that people have access to mental health care and substance use disorder treatments and and that families aren't struggling to make ends meet where parents have to work three jobs and can't provide um, adequately for their families. Uh, you know, I want to tackle the rising costs in health care. There's so much more that I want to do because I believe if we truly give people a first chance, we won't need to pay for a second chance later on in life. Um, and we can, you know, hopefully prevent a lot of additional trauma um, for people. And, and so that's, you know, why I'm running. And I think that the skills that I've been able to cultivate as an advocate will absolutely help me in the legislature. Well, when you're elected, what do you plan your first priorities to be as a legislature? Do you have particular projects you want, you kind of have at the top of the list for what you want to start pursuing uh, most aggressively once you, once you find yourself in the state house? Yeah, absolutely. Right now, the biggest need for our community as a whole and the district that I represent is that we're dealing with COVID-19 and the economic, um, you know, uh, recession that we're going through because of um, COVID-19 and the way Washington state, for example, has the most regressive tax system in in the nation in that we don't have an income tax. We only do sales tax. And when you're not out and about and um, supporting our small businesses because of staying at home, uh, our revenue has definitely decreased. um, And that revenue pays for a lot of the front end um, things that we, you know, want to invest in people to prevent uh, incarceration later on in life, such as Head Start and, um, you know, affordable housing and things like that. So 
I will be dealing with the the budget and also I you know I was a reg- a registered nurse for eleven years, so I I do hope to serve on the healthcare committee as well and make sure that everybody in my community has a free COVID um, vaccine when it comes out and those things. However, my policy expertise really has been in criminal justice. And right now, I think we have prime conditions that warrant uh, a need for huge reforms. And that's because of the budget. Uh, The prison system here in Washington state has to reduce its budget by 15%. They are saying they would like to reduce our um, incarcerated population by 30% next year. Um, So, you know, ways that we can do that um, through, you know, we don't have parole in our, in our state. So bringing back some kind of parole system to get more people out who don't need to be there anymore, um, investing in alternatives to incarceration, a lot of different criminal justice things. And I think it's very timely, not only given COVID-19 and the budget, but also um, the Black Lives Matter movement and um, everything that's, you know, occurred since uh, George Floyd's murder on the cry for racial justice. Um, Criminal justice reform is absolutely centered to all of those kind of three um, crises that we are contending with. And so I do plan to introduce legislation around progressive revenue, around access to healthcare and criminal justice reform in January. So I understand that the representative who's retiring was someone who played an important role in your career. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about her and how she influenced you as a budding legislator. Yeah, absolutely. Representative Sherry Appleton is a dear friend and role model for me. She um, has served in the state house for 16 years Um, Prior to that, she was on the city council here in a a town, a city that's in my district. Um, And prior to that, though, she was the uh, lobbyist for the Washington Defender Association. So she came from a background of criminal justice reform advocacy, and she has served on the public safety committee in the Washington state legislature and has been fighting for, you know, the same things that we are fighting for now. Um, but like 20 and 30 years ago. So she was, um, you know, a huge proponent of uh, kind of getting rid of the death penalty. And, you know, back then, 20 or 30 years ago, you know, she took so much heat for that. And now our Washington State Supreme Court has ruled it's unconstitutional. And uh, and we're still trying to get it through the legislature, though, to codify that that decision. Um, it's so funny. Politics is is definitely a new area. Um, to delve into and have to contend with so many people's opinions. But, uh, you know, because of her background and, and she's also been a huge proponent for kind of universal health care. And that is something that I uh, desperately want to see also. Um, but because of our shared like passion areas, um, you know, she, that's, I think what drew her to ask me to be her successor, but, I will also say that she's been a dear personal friend and I go over to her house and um, actually she's not been to my house, but I go over to her her house and my husband has done work on her house and I've spent time with her and we go out to eat and she's mentored me and she's told me the ins and outs of, of the job and she's been very supportive of my campaign. And I think for her and I feel a sense of responsibility to like continue to carry on her legacy of standing up um, for the most vulnerable people. 
um, in our state. And, and I couldn't be more honored. You know, one other thing that's really cool is that on my day of my Supreme Court hearing to become an attorney in 2017, uh, you know, the, the courtroom was packed and there was a handful of legislators there, but she, she was one of them. And she's always been a personal support to me as well. Well, Tara, during your campaign, have you found that people have generally been supportive and receptive to your candidacy? I have. You know, there's a handful of people who continue to um, push back against my past. Um, but I will say overwhelmingly, it's been more positive and supportive. And people um, really embrace, you know, the kind of, you know, story of redemption and, and believe that it's an American story of second chances, regardless of your kind of political affiliation. I will say I've been uh, pleasantly surprised by some Republicans that have been, um, you know, supportive on social media around um, me as an individual and my, and my personal story, even if they do not agree with me politically, which I completely understand. Um, There are some, you know, particular issues that are really divided between Republicans and Democrats um, I'll also say there's a lot of Republicans who are voting for me who say, you know, I know we'll never agree on, you know, a right to choose. Uh, but I really appreciate, um, you know, the perspective that you're going to bring to Olympia that's missing and I'm going to vote for you. Um, so I've been really grateful and humbled and honored um, by the support I've received from kind of both sides of the aisle. Well, Tara, in closing, I wonder if you have any thoughts or words of advice or encouragement for people who are in the situation you used to be in and need some hope and a second chance. Yeah, I really appreciate that question um, because, uh, you know, I probably get, um, you know, 15 emails a week on people who are either or I get letters from people in prison who want to go to law school and want to become an attorney and don't have the access to resources that I had. And it's something I personally um, contend with and and, am challenged by because I can't be that person for the amount of people that actually contact me. And so I, I give some general advice is one, don't ever give up and keep, um, you know, asking and reaching out And when you meet someone and they don't have the answer, ask them, do they know who has the answer that you need? It just takes a lot of um, perseverance and not to give up. Two, um, I'm in the process of hopefully making some videos about this so I can put them on my website to give people more specific um, kind of guidance, uh, working with other formerly incarcerated attorneys. There are a couple of groups that are actually helping um, people right now with overcoming character and fitness. And we're trying to build up that capacity to help people across the nation. Um, but there's a Facebook group called uh, Directly Impacted Lawyers and Law Legal Professionals. Uh, there's some work being done around the National Justice Impact Bar Association. Uh, you might be able to Google that and find a website or some information about that. There's also a group, a, a law student uh, organization out of CUNY that contacted me recently and said that they will give kind of um, mentorship and um, advice on people for their law school applications. And, um, and that would be a good resource. We're, as far as I know, we're still trying to build the capacity, but I would say just don't give up if it's your dream, keep going, 
Um, if you're denied, don't take it as a permanent um, denial. There's always a way uh, forward. I don't care what your past is. Um, I, I believe in my heart there are states that are becoming more, um, you know, educated about the need to have people with lived experience in the legal profession. And, and I hope that we'll be able to build up more infrastructure to get people that one-on-one support um, soon. Great. Well, Tara, thanks so much for coming on the show. It's been a real pleasure talking to you. I wish you all the very best on election day. And I personally hope we see you in the temple of justice someday. Thank you so much. I appreciate you too. There's a flood upon election day And you can see your house is washed away You still must do your duty, come what may Learn to float or buy a boat But go and vote, get out and vote Get out and vote, get out and vote, get out and vote. A flood is no excuse to lose your vote If the water's got you down And you think you're apt to drown Before you do, wait till you get out and vote Get out and vote Ah, this is a raucous caucus. (laughs) Now let's have a musical interlude featuring that silver cornet and trombone. We have Jimmy Sheldon and his electoral college band. the concert's concluded, let's get back to the music. <laughs> a wedding on election day is nice. Just say I do and save the shoes and right. And then to strike a patriotic note, put on the shoes, eat the rice and go and vote. Get out and vote. Get out and vote. A wedding's no excuse to lose your vote. With your honeymoon in view, you've a thirst for pitch and woo, but duty first, forget your thirst, get out and vote! Get out and vote! Uh, yes, sir, oh, Mrs. O'Malley, there's a rally in the valley tonight. <laughs> <laughs> and so, with the assistance of Jay Sheldon and his eight little ward healers, <laughs> we'll end our little scene. Uh, let's add to the flames, Jay. I hear you say your car has broken down And that you're stranded miles away from town The voting polls too far, I hear you squawk Stop the talk, if you can walk, get out and vote Get out and vote Get out and vote Oh, it raises a lump of glory in your throat And it doesn't cost a dime voting at election time So on your feet off your seat, get out and vote. Get out and vote. Leave the heap if you can creep. Get out and vote. Get out and vote. One and all, if you can crawl, get out and vote. Get out and vote.